Chapter 9 Celebrating the Creator's Plans Yahweh's feasts, i.e. Sabbaths, are the most shocking and unbelievable celebrations ever imagined, or not. Again, those feasts were, or are, rehearsals of real spiritual events, the outline of Yahweh's plans for His family. They are not just about modern Israel, that is, the Western nations, but all of humanity. Unfortunately, due to the rejection by Yahweh's own people, also humanity, those plans have become lost. That rejection of Yahweh's feast has reduced modern humanity to the status of little children lost in an endless forest on a moonless night. That's such a sad and heartbreaking fact, but is all part of the Creator's plans, which again, by necessity, include free moral agency, that is, free choice. Once again, true, that is, real respect and love cannot be forced. Forcing people, something the Creator could do if He wished, does not produce real love and respect. It only reduces people to mere robots. The Creators do not want program robots or animals for children. They want real love and respect, which their children freely choose to give. Again, that's why we were created in this mortal state. If we choose to love and respect Yahweh first, and each other second, and then fight for that choice, we're ready for their eternal family. If we choose otherwise, we simply return to the dirt from which we came. Another aspect of our loving Creator's plan is the fact we're told we will be given one chance to choose badly, that would be death, as did Adam and Eve, and still be resurrected. But as we're informed in Revelation 9, the second death is the final death. If we choose death or the way of the dragon, as did Adam and Eve, a second time, we will own that choice and cease to exist in any way, shape, or form. Again, Ezekiel 18.4 and also verse 20 states, The soul that sins will die. And echoed in Ecclesiastes 5.9, The dead know nothing and they have no more reward. In other words, there is no immortal soul for humans. Dead actually means dead. That immortal soul lie originated with the dragon in Genesis 3, where the dragon lied in telling Eve, You will not surely die. You will be like the gods, i.e. immortal. Unfortunately, what was told Eve was the big immortal lie, considering life versus death is the general theme of the entire Bible. To say we really don't die, just change places, blurs all the lines, and reduces the entire book or the Bible to nonsense. Yahweh did not create us immortal like the angels for good reason. You see, the angels were created perfect, see Ezekiel 28, and immortal, and also with free moral agency. In fact, it was their free moral agency that allowed one-third of them to choose the dark side, that is, rebellion, and become Yahweh's adversaries. Apparently, due to their already being immortal, the angels that sinned and rebelled against Yahweh apparently are unable to repent. We, on the other hand, by choosing life while physical and then fighting for that choice, locks us into our love choice which prevents us from sinning afterward when we become immortal, as we see in 1 John 3, 9. There we're told humans, that is, born from above, that is, of spirit, cannot sin. We, being physical, unlike the rebellious angels, get a second chance. But that's it. That said, and again, the outline of Yahweh's eternal family for humanity is found in Leviticus 23. 
It begins with the weekly Sabbath, that is the first feast in verse 3, which again is a celebration of the completed plan for Yahweh's children. The second Moed or feast, beginning in verse 5, is the celebration or the feast of Passover, which initiated the physical rehearsal of the process of spiritually birthing his family, beginning with his high priest Yeshua and his priesthood, as well as the saints of old. The first annual feast reveals two things, with all aspects assembled. First, a priest and priesthood, which is a, a mediator or a bridge, was needed to bring the spirit world of Yahweh together with physical humanity. Passover began that spiritual process with a savior or a high priest shedding his blood in atonement for his or Israel's priesthood. The sons of Shem, meaning the name, which of course would be Yahweh, were or are ordained to be a light that is a correct way of living to the Gentile or uh, nations of the world. But unfortunately, they failed miserably, at least in ancient times. Not only did they fail to lead the nations of the Gentiles to Yahweh, but actually became worse than the Gentiles themselves. Observing the modern descendants of Shem, it seems there really is nothing new under the sun. The rehearsal of that first feast, Passover, in Exodus 12, began with the instructions for the Israelites enslaved there in Egypt to kill a lamb and smear its blood on their doorposts. The death angel, Mastema, was then released to go through the land of Egypt and kill all the firstborn, including the animals, but was not allowed to enter any house with the lamb's blood on the doorposts. To make it simple, the firstborn saved by the lamb's blood were the priesthood. The lamb, of course, was a symbol of Yeshua, the high priest, shedding his blood for his firstborn priesthood. Exodus 22:29 tells us all the firstborn people, including animals, belonged to Yahweh and were to be brought to the Yahweh's house or the temple to serve even as priests. Hebrews tells us Yeshua is the high priest who was born, i.e. anointed, to save his firstborn priesthood. Actually, modern Israel as a whole has been ordained to be the priest or the priesthood for all the Gentile nations once they have been brought into that new promised land. There they will finally be that light on the hill that Yahweh always intended them to be. Strangely, though, Ezekiel 38 tells us instead of trying to understand why the Israelites are being so supernaturally cared for, that is, their shining light, Gog and Magog musters a 200 million man army in an attempt to take what Israel has. But Yahweh sends his angels to slaughter them. Ezekiel 39 tells us his people, Israel, without an army, stand on the hills and watch the great slaughter, which takes them seven years to clean up and bury the dead. The third celebration outlined in Yahweh's plan in Leviticus 23 is the wave sheaf. It was to be celebrated on the Sabbath, that is, three days after the Passover. The priests were to go into the barley fields and gather a bundle or a sheaf of green stalks to then bring into the temple to be waved. The sheaf was first waved down, symbolizing death, and then waved up, which symbolized resurrection. How very interesting, at that exact time of the waving of the wave sheaf, after the real fulfillment of the Passover, the graves in Jerusalem opened and the saints of old came into the streets of Jerusalem. The wave sheaf was a picture of the saints of old, that is, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, etc., having died along with the Messiah, Yeshua, and then being resurrected, that is, led out by Yeshua, exactly three days after Passover, just as rehearsed in the wave sheaf ceremony. 
It was exactly as Yeshua told his disciples. He would be in the grave three days and nights to rise and become the literal fulfillment of that wave sheaf. His resurrection quite literally led the captive saints of old from the captivity of death. But that's not all. Another amazing part of the wave sheaf ceremony was it began the countdown to the completion of the spring harvest 50 days or 50 years in literal fulfillment later. But before going there, we need to take note of another aspect of the Passover celebration. It began with seven days of eating unleavened bread. The Israelites were instructed to put all leavening and leavened bread out of their houses for seven days. This was a ritual process of purification, as well as a contract, that they were to perform before being brought to Yahweh's house, Mount Sinai. Yeast, that is leavening, is a puffing agent that makes bread big and fluffy, filling it with air. Leavening is the perfect symbol of pride, which is an illusion. It makes dough look like something it's not, which is what pride does to us. Putting the leaven out was an exercise in identifying that pride in us, which is the spirit of the dragon, and to then replace it with a humble spirit. Again, pride is an illusion that makes us think and believe we are something better than we are. In other words, pride is a lie. Considering the dragon was or is the original liar, it's a perfect picture of its spirit. In fact, giving sin some analyzing, we realize all sin has its roots in pride. And understanding how every evil is rooted in pride is why it has to be identified and put away before we can come to or walk with Yahweh. It says he only dwells with or walks with the humble and contrite, and he resists or rejects the proud. Of course, once the leavening or the pride is put out, it needs to be replaced with Yahweh's spirit of life, that is immortality, which we see in Acts 2.17. Again, the wave sheaf began the countdown to the last spring feast, the Feast of Firstfruits or Weeks, which was not only the celebration of the completion of the spring harvest, but the Jubilee. Jubilee was the release of all debts every 50 years. Again, the greatest debt we accumulate is the price of sin from which the Jubilee releases us, that is, death. The Feast of Firstfruits, that is, the priests, was later renamed Pentecost, simply meaning 50 count, which unfortunately loses the real meaning and big picture of the Feast of Firstfruits. How often we see the translators obscuring the truth because they were unable to see or understand the big picture. Again, seeing the first three parts of the spring harvest, that is, resurrection, unfold exactly as rehearsed and on time, means the completion of that harvest, which was initiated by the wave sheep, certainly occurred. Just because the compilers of the New Testament failed to include it in our modern New Testament canon does not mean the spring harvest wasn't completed in its season. Obviously, Yahweh did not begin his spring harvest and not complete it. No doubt, it was deliberately deliberately excluded to hide that major truth. After all, what control could the universal, i.e. Catholic Church, have over the people if they knew their priesthood and the Messiah were already in heaven? No, they needed the people to believe the only way to the Creator and His Messiah, un or Anointed One, was to go through the Church and their priests. As an inset here, Revelation 20 speaks of two great resurrections that come in two parts. The first was the first century harvest of Yeshua and his Israelite priesthood, and the last, that is the fall harvest, is the balance of Israel. Again, the first resurrection was split into two parts, Yeshua, the high priest, and the saints of old, 
and then his priesthood after the countdown to Jubilee around 80 CE. Even though we have no scripture directly telling us, no doubt the fall harvest is also in two parts as in the first century, a major, a minor resurrection of saints, and then finally the whole house of Israel in Ezekiel 37. The Creator used a very simple language, one virtually all people, at least in ancient times, can understand, which is agrarian. Having grown up on a farm myself, the language is easily understood. You see, just as in ancient Israel, my father had two harvests. The spring harvest of winter wheat or barley, among others, was planted in the early fall and was harvested in late spring, after which the fields were plowed under to plant the fall harvest. Again, what a coincidence, not the time period between the 1st century until the 13th was called the Dark Ages. The spiritual significance is obvious. Yeshua and Yahweh are both called light. The truth is also referred to as light. After Yeshua returned to receive the balance of his spring harvest, as he promised them in Matthew 24, the light, or the truth, left the world. The light began dawning or returning again in the 13th century with the raising up of modern Israel, as Yahweh promised his people in Hosea 6.4. There he said, I will revive you on the second day. We'll have more on that later. The 13th century was also the unveiling of the scriptures with the translation into the common man's language, English, by John Wycliffe and then King James. That fulfilled another part of the Hosea prophecy, which is, let us return to Yahweh and his Torah, of course. The return of the scriptures in the common man's language, which is English, was only the beginning of the restoration of the full truth, whose time has now arrived. Moving on to the fall harvest season, the first of the fall moeds, or feast, is a day called the Feast of Trumpets, which is a day of blowing trumpets, plural, with many different meanings, from the gathering of the elders, like the disciples, to announcing such events as war. Simply put, trumpets was or is a day of alarms, some good and many bad, like the seven trumpet plagues in Revelation 8-9. through They are announcements of the coming destruction of much of the world. In the early 2000s, after coming to understand the fulfilling of the spring feast in the first century, it dawned on me the fall feast season or harvest begins with the Feast of Trumpets. I then began praying and asking Yahweh how we would know when the Feast of Trumpets would arrive in real time as it did with the birth of the anointed one, Yeshua, to fill the Passover in the spring harvest. Then some 15 years later, I heard of a man running for president named Donald Trump. I couldn't believe what I was hearing, considering Donald Trump literally means rule of the trumpet or trumpet king. It's a very common thing for Yahweh to make announcements or prophecies using people's names, with one of the most notable being Methuselah, which meant, when I die, it will come. His name was literally a prophecy of the Great Flood, and it was absolutely accurate considering the flood came the year of or after his death. We find more of these name prophecies in the book of Hosea, where Hosea was told to marry a prostitute and to give each of the four children born a name telling how the people how Yahweh was feeling about them and what he was about to do. Even the incredibly common name given to the grandfather of Israel, Abraham, meant father of many nations. That name prophecy didn't come to fruition until these modern times with the rising of the modern Israelite nations, i.e. the Western nations. Ancient Israel was only two nations, not many. Judah was three tribes and Israel was ten tribes. Getting back to the names, years back a man running for president named Barack Hussein Obama made my alarm bells go off. 
Understanding the significance of names, I knew if he became president, we, as a nation, would literally become an abomination. Unfortunately, that is exactly what happened. That president made sure the entire world despised and blamed us for all the world's troubles. Not only that, he threw gasoline on the fire of abortion rights, that is the murder of the unborn, and homosexuality, literally making us an abomination to the Creator as well. Unfortunately, we as a nation are going to pay dearly for these national sins. Considering Don, President Trump again, I was worried if he only ran for president but lost, it was not going to be conclusive proofs his name had real significance and would be the announcement of the fall harvest season in our time. But his winning the election was beyond miraculous. Virtually all those who were with him during the presidential race agree it was absolutely a trail of fulfilled prophecies and miracles and never should have been able to happen. We read that in the Trump prophecies. But the real proof Mr. Trump initiated the fulfillment of the Feast of Trumpets was seen in the supernatural heavenly signs of 2017, which we'll get to very soon.